Welcome to Season 5 of the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom, where we talk with enterprise and technology platform leaders about the people, processes, and platforms that make marketing and customer experience successful, scalable, and sustainable. This is what creates an Agile brand. I'm your host, Greg Kilstrom, advisor and consultant for Fortune 1000 marketing and CX leaders and teams as principal and chief strategist at GK5A and best-selling author, keynote speaker, entrepreneur, and Agile certified coach. The Agile Brand Podcast is brought to you by Tech Systems, an industry leader in full-stack technology services, talent services, and real-world application. For more information, go to teksystems.com. To sign up for the Agile Brand newsletter and get the latest insights and articles on marketing technology and CX, or to purchase a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, go to gregkillstrom.com. You can also find all my books on Amazon and other retailers. And now on to the show. Today, we're going to talk about how sustainability is no longer an option for brands and why this is a benefit for both customers and the bottom line. To help me discuss this topic, I'd like to welcome Brennan Spellacy, CEO and co-founder at Patch. Brennan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Greg. Really appreciate it. Yeah, looking forward to talking about this uh, this topic with you. Uh, but why don't we start by giving a little background on yourself as well as what led you to co-found Patch? Yeah, absolutely. So originally I grew up in New York um, and studied chemical engineering up in Montreal with the intention of working in low carbon energy. So I thought I was going to study chemical engineering and mitigate the climate crisis by decarboniz- decarbonizing the grid. I ended up not working out, coming out of school and got jobs in oil and gas. And so instead of doing that, I put the chemical engineering on hold and became a software developer as well as a product manager at a couple of different technology startups. And then back in April of 2020, brought things back to sustainability by founding Patch. And just two, two seconds on Patch, at the highest level, we built software to make it easy to interact with the what are called carbon markets, which are essentially the ability to buy and sell, the ability to remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. So what that means is that businesses will use Patch's software to launch either net zero commitments, where you have some sort of footprinting exercise, where you understand the climate impact of your business, and then compensate the associated emissions by buying that carbon dioxide to be removed from the atmosphere, or by actually embedding some form of climate action into an end product or service using what's called an API. APIs are how computers talk to each other. So people can actually write a couple lines of code using Patch's APIs to embed some form of climate action into a digital experience. One that comes to mind is Afterpay, a buy now, pay later provider, where they'll actually give end users and customers the ability to compensate their emissions from things they buy through Afterpay from the actual digital experience of the Afterpay app. That's all powered by Patch. Great, great. Well, let's uh, let's talk about our main topic today, which is you know real, right in line with what you were just talking about with what your company does, you know, the importance of sustainability beyond its inherent benefits for the planet, which is also kind of a big deal, of course, but, you know, it can also be good for both companies and their customers. And, you know, so kind of a win, win, win in that scenario. So let's start by talking about customers and consumers in general. So some recent research by Capgemini shows that nearly 80% of consumers now consider a company's environmental responsibility when making purchasing decisions. So the question for you, uh, why isn't this enough to get some companies to meaningfully act? What's what's standing in the way? Yeah, I know it's a great question. I mean, truthfully, there's a bit of a new secular trend we're beginning to see. And what I mean by that 
is that 80% of consumers is kind of actually being driven by this trend of we're now entering a period where the first two generations that are going to be materially affected by climate change, millennials and Gen Z, are now beginning to enter the prime earning years in the case of millennials and are just beginning to vote and spend in, in the market in the case of Gen Z. That's actually fundamentally shifted how kind of consumers and kind of the makeup of spend from any individual consumer group actually looks like. And so for us, it's not just about well, why are not businesses responding to it or is it enough, but actually this is a fairly new thing, right? If you look, all the science that we're looking at today still existed 20 years ago, 25 right. years ago with right. the inconvenient truth with Al Gore, uh, just people weren't really ready to, to kind of uh, have take the medicine, if you will. It wasn't, it wasn't imminent enough. Now we're kind of entering this moment where it's becoming far more urgent, which is now driving individuals and then eventually businesses to act a little bit differently. Yeah, yeah. So beyond the customer component, sustainability itself should also be beneficial to businesses because in, inherent in that concept is the idea that it's not only sustainability in the world at large, but also sustainability for the business itself. So even things like concentrating chemicals that need to be transported to reduce shipping costs help save money for the company in addition to helping the environment. How should companies be thinking about sustainability in a way that provides this kind of win-win scenario? Yeah, no, it's a great question. So, and I think you actually articulated one kind of key point. So in the world of decarbonization, which is all about polluting less, a lot of the sustainable alternatives are in some cases less expensive. Yeah. Right, We saw that with COVID, where a lot of business travel went away in place of Zoom. Well, a lot of people were saving a lot of money by not spending money on business travel. And as a result, also saving the carbon emissions associated with either planes or, or, or personal vehicles. Yeah. Very similar with kind of staying home at the office or not, or not working at the office, excuse me, when you kind of take that commuting away, emissions go down. So there are many cases, situations where cost cutting, which is becoming even more relevant as of late, as of you know, November 2022, right. and the economic outlook is looking uncertain, and decarbonization actually in some cases go hand in hand, right? So in some situations, there's actually a way easier pill to swallow, if you will. Yeah. But going back to that second piece, the other kind of other element that I would encourage folks to think about is this idea of, well, what is going to drive you to acquire and retain these new generations that are going to be affected by climate change, right? Those millennials and those Gen Z individuals. And that's how a lot of folks are actually beginning to think about this. It's less around altruism, candidly, of, of the kind of VC suites, although you know, there are some kind of groups that do think and make decisions altruistically, but a lot of them are thinking about what is the long-term viability of my business? And what they're seeing is the people who are beginning to take power, take control, whether it's in dollars or at the ballot box, are beginning to spend in a more values-aligned way, which as a result, both businesses, investors, and policymakers also have to operate in that way. Because at the end of the day, yeah. although the businesses have a huge amount of influence, they still at the end of the day serve the end customers. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. So let's uh, talk about some of the challenges with the current way of of handling things. So you know, first let's let's talk about carbon offsets. So they seem like a viable option. They've been around for for a while, certainly, but there's some drawbacks to the way they're often handled. Can you describe some of the challenges with them? Yeah, absolutely. So for, first things first, uh, as a kind of maybe a, a, a baseline, in the IPCC, which is this international organization that actually studies climate science, makes it very clear that there is no pathway to limiting global heating beneath either one and a half or two degrees without what we call gigaton scale carbon removal. Mm. So what does that mean? Gigaton scale carbon removal basically means you're removing tens of billions 
of tons of carbon dioxide from the atmosphere per year from between 2040 or so to around 2100. So for, for a very long time. So that's going to be how the planet both gets to net zero and then eventually actually net negative beyond 2050. The reason we have to do that is because the last 150 years, we've been emitting carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, creating effectively a backlog of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere that's continuing to heat the earth. What carbon credits do is they provide a way for businesses or individuals to buy someone's ability to either abate emissions or remove emissions from the atmosphere. So it's effectively a market mechanism to drive finance into carbon removal technologies, whether that's something as familiar as reforestation, where you plant trees and that those trees actually draw carbon out of the atmosphere, or something like direct air capture, which are these large human engineered facilities that actually suck air, run it through a chemical reaction, and the pure oxygen and nitrogen come out, and then the CO2 stays behind and then that CO2 can get stored. There are all these different chemical pathways that can actually produce these carbon credits, which then can be bought and transacted. The difficulty with carbon markets as a whole, and what's actually held them back in the last decade or so, has actually been the fact that there is so much diversity within carbon markets. And people have tended to want to commodify carbon mark, carbon, where they want to treat every ton as equal and kind of ignore the underlying metadata associated with it. And we now know that is fundamentally untrue. And the position we take at patches, carbon is not like something like a soybean, where there's only so many types and you can kind of be, it can be commoditized. Yeah. What it actually is much closer to is a bespoke product that has a huge amount of underlying metadata. And that underlying metadata is really important because if you're a head of sustainability or a CMO, you need to be understanding, well, what kind of story am I telling to my stakeholders? And if you don't understand the detail associated with that particular ton of carbon you're buying, there's a potential for you miscommunicating and then setting the wrong expectations. And that's typically what's plagued carbon markets in the past and what we aim to try to resolve. Before we continue, let's take a quick break. If you're like many marketing leaders today, you're inundated with a need to improve the customer experience across an increasing number of channels and touch points, all while ensuring your team is performing well, innovating, and continuously improving. So how do you find the time to determine what's next for you, your team, your brand, and your customers? My company, GK5A, can help. Whether it is advisory services, evaluation of marketing technology platforms and solutions, or digital agencies and implementation partners, or assistance with creating strategic roadmaps and prioritization of efforts, we've done it all and served as an ally to Fortune 1000 brands and industries like financial services, healthcare, consumer electronics, professional services, and more. You can learn more about these services and contact us at www.gk5a. That's www.gk5a.com. Now let's get back to the show. Now let's talk about the the ESG space, which all good intentions aside has certainly had some challenges with greenwashing, similar to how CSR or corporate social responsibility initiatives did before them. Uh, you know, there's lots of similarities between the two acronyms there, but can you describe some of the challenges that that companies are, are facing here and, you know, assuming assuming the best intentions, but, you know, what, what are some of the, the, the challenges with, uh, you know, ESG and, and sustainability? So I think the, the challenge, the greatest challenge of anything related to any sort of climate commitment actually goes back to this idea I was just beginning to allude to earlier with respect to the transparency element yeah. and communication. So what we've actually seen is companies who have actually been 
accused of greenwashing or found of greenwashing. And, and for those who don't know, again, greenwashing is essentially this idea where a company takes some sort of sustainability program, puts it in place, makes some sort of kind of claim about that particular sustainability program that turns out to be maybe exaggerated or in some cases even untrue, right? And so like the fast fashion typically gets hit by this quite, quite often yeah. where they maybe have one sustainable component of a broader piece of clothing and then claim the entire piece of clothing is sustainable. That's not actually accurate. You know, that one button or that one tag or whatever it might be, might be, but the broader object is not. Yeah. That's typically when people refer to greenwashing what folks are referring to. And what we found that in most cases, there are always going to be those bad actors that are explicitly misleading people. Sure. But in the case of actually, when it comes to carbon markets, what we've actually seen is the seller of the carbon credit, the buyer of the carbon credit, and then the end consumer. So the person making a decision based on the underlying transaction, they're going with a particular brand because it's sustainable, all think something different is happening. And that's because it is information is tending, it tends to be an abstracted away versus actually surfaced. So we'll have organizations who might not understand the difference between what reforestation or afforestation is, right? Reforestation is all about putting trees where there once were trees versus afforestation is about planting a net new forest. Or is the kind of diversity of the underlying forest, a what is called a monoculture, where all the trees are the same. These four types of forests tend to be actually very vulnerable to things like um, disease, because if one kind of tree or species of tree gets hit, then it can actually affect the entire forest, rather than a more diverse and robust, like that more natural forest. And so there are all these kind of different nuances that actually affect the efficacy of the underlying sustainability program. And then if you're not able to explain that to your end consumer, then they might think you're claiming you're doing something else. And then if you may find out that there's a misunderstanding of that actually leads to a lot of these greenwashing claims. And so for us, yeah. again, the biggest kind of element when it comes to sustainability is really making sure you understand internally why you're making those decisions and then working really, really closely with your comms teams, because these are typically very high visibility programs, whether that's to investors or to end buyers, really working closely with them to try to not... Um, Sometimes try not to abstract away the details in a lot of cases. I think there's a, a, a tendency to want to um, really distill things down and really simplify, which is very important, especially within marketing. You want to make sure you're not taking up too much people's time effectively. You want to get right, your right. quickly. That being said, though, if you are not careful and mindful with your words, there's an opportunity to mislead, even unintentionally. And so that's where you have to be really, really mindful when it comes to communicating your sustainability initiatives. Yeah, yeah. And so you, you mentioned a, a few things to do to improve it, you know, including the, uh, how you communicate it, but you know, what, what else is patch doing in this area to, to help to make it stronger? Yeah, absolutely. So there's a huge number of kind of organizations and standards and ecosystems you're going to operate with sustainability. And it all sounds like alphabet soup, right? There's a huge <laughs> amount of organizations that have a bunch of different abbreviations. And what Patch really aims to do is making sure that depending on what type of sustainability strategy you have, there are some people that might have what's called a net zero strategy. Some people might want to actually be carbon neutral. Some people might actually want to focus on specific disclosures. Whatever it might be, we take that information in and we make it very, very explicit what types of action, what types of carbon markets can you actually interact with. And so we'll actually dramatically pare down the Patch network where we actually have over a hundred projects and kind of 50, 60 different developers associated with people maintaining those projects. But depending on if you're attempting to be net zero in a particular year, you can actually use maybe half of those 
or a third of those. And so what that means is that we shouldn't really be showing you the things that don't make sense for your particular sustainability strategy, right? And so what we'll do is we'll actually pare down the network. And then for each project that you actually can transact with within that network, we'll show a huge amount of both qualitative and quantitative information. That's the underlying chemical pathway, the geography, the price, what's called the durability of the carbon credit. That refers to the, this idea of how long does that positive environmental effect last for? Yeah. There are some natural-based solutions that'll last for 100 years. So it'll last to around you know, 2100, 2120. And there are some solutions that'll last for 10,000 plus years, far beyond you know any of us are around. Right. And so really surfacing all this kind of nuance is actually really help people understand and get their arms around this carbon credit problem because folks, many cases who have even transacted with carbon credits in the past for patch customers had no idea there was this much stratification. And the more education and standard standardization of presentation information you can do, the more likely people are to understand things and then minimize the likelihood of them making an uneducated decision and then communicating it improperly. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, it seems to me like it's again, bad actors aside and, you know, there's always, I'm sure there's always a, a, an element of that, but I mean, you know, that, that notwithstanding there, because of the abstraction of some of this information and the intentions of wanting to communicate that, yes, a company is doing its part and and trying to be sustainable and, and all of that, because there's so much, so many, I guess, lack of standardization, it definitely sounds like it's, you know, it's, it's time to have some more common definitions and, you know, just a, a, an easier way to, to do that. But I think from what I'm hearing from you, the brand, the onus on the brand is really to articulate what they're doing and, and some of the details just so that they don't come off. Like they're just, they're either doing more than they are, or in some cases they may, you know, they may actually be doing more than, than they say they are just once, once you dig into the details, do you think that, does that sound right? Yeah, no, I think that's accurate. I think that's accurate. I mean, and, and truthfully, most folks are actually coming to patch having done nothing before. Right. Okay. So over yeah. 70% of companies who onboarded onto Patch had never participated in carbon markets before. But what was interesting is a lot of the reason people were holding back was actually a reluctance, primarily driven by people not really understanding how this market worked. Yeah. Right. And so you actually have this really interesting situation where you have this very, I think, reasonable desire to call out bad actors and bad behavior, but what that's actually resulting in many cases in action. Right. And so there's this really interesting paradox where the folks who are taking action, even the ones with the best intentions, are having uh, their wrists slapped, if you will, which is actually preventing other people from starting to take the right direction on climate action because the kind of downside of doing something wrong is actually perceived as more extreme than the upside of doing something right, which is actually like not the desired outcome. Right. That's not what we want to happen. Um, And so it's, it's been a very fascinating dynamic to kind of see where by kind of under diving into the patch platform, people were able to wrap their heads around how, how does this ecosystem work? And they're able to build up that confidence where even if they do get challenged in the public sphere, they feel like they have the information and the backing to say, no, 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 we do know what we're talking about. And this is why. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, th- I think that's, that, that's great. And definitely a much needed 
much needed solution. Well, one, one last question before we wrap up here. You've given some some great advice already, but just, you know, what, what's one piece of advice for maybe those companies, whether they have done something before or not, you know, what's what's a piece of advice for companies that are evaluating their sustainability programs as they navigate the months ahead? I think the, the biggest piece really is to take an iterative approach and to really share as much information as possible. So what we've seen in a lot of cases are corporates trying to come up with the perfect solution out of the gate and yeah. they do a huge amount of planning and work behind the scenes to get something done. And this creates a very binary outcome where the product is either going to be very successful or it's not going to be successful. And what we really push folks to think about is just like you would with any other product or any other kind of part of your business, try taking an iterative approach to it. All right, try shipping something in two weeks, a month, whatever it might be, yeah. and getting some feedback from the market, see how people are kind of, see how hard it is to get something done and see how people are actually responding to it whether it's your language, whether it's your particular approach. And then once you get that actual piece of feedback, you're able to feel a little more confident about your larger initiative. Kind of taking this waterfall approach where kind of stay on the sidelines, planning and planning and planning and planning and doing this monumental launch and it may or may not work. In many cases, it's far too risky. I mean, coming from the software world, we would never do that. And so that's kind of what I would counsel folks to think about is how do you how do you kind of take take off this or take on this problem one bite at a time rather than trying to do it all at once. Great, great. That's that's wonderful advice, and and you get bonus points because you did an agile versus waterfall example on the Agile Brand podcast. So that's it. Um, thank you for that. Absolutely. <laughs> um, well, Brennan, thanks so much for joining. Um, for the, for those listening, what's the best way for them to keep up with what you and Patch are doing? Yeah, absolutely. So we actually have a newsletter that we communicate with folks. So if you go to patch.io, p-a-t-c-h.io. You can subscribe and we'll both, you can both get access to patch as well as we can shoot you some updates. Wonderful. Well, again, I'd like to thank Brennan Spelsey, CEO and co-founder at Patch for joining the show. Talk with you next week. Thanks again for listening to the Agile Brand with Greg Kilstrom podcast brought to you by Tech Systems. If you enjoyed the show, please take a minute to subscribe on your podcast channel of choice and leave us a rating so that others can find the show more easily. You can access more episodes of the show at www.gregkillstrom.com. That's G-R-E-G-K-I-H-L-S-T-R-O-M.com. To get a copy of my latest book, House of the Customer, visit my website or you can find it on Amazon or other retailers. The Agile brand is produced by Missing Link, a Latina-owned, strategy-driven, creatively-fueled production co-op. From ideation to creation, they craft human connections through intelligent, engaging, and informative content. Until next time, stay agile.